0: episode-by-episode episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show Gamesmaster. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and for the benefit of those watching in black and white, I'm wearing a red t-shirt.
3: No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to destroy the fourth wall, but I am your other host, Ash Versus, and I am struggling with my
0: soggy flans. I mean, we all are, and unfortunately I am wearing a black t-shirt, which means that my joke didn't work, so I had to pretend I was wearing something different.
3: Which I then promptly busted by just like <laughs> giving zero respect for the illusion that you were attempting to create. <laughs>
0: This episode aired on the 11th of February, 1993. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is still top of the charts for one more week, but it's a second week at the top of the box office for Bram Stoker's Dracula.
3: Now, while it will only be at the top of the charts for one more week, as will Bram Stoker's Dracula, that doesn't mean we're rid of that song in 1992, 93, whatever. It sticks around like a fart in a spacesuit. It's impossible to get rid of. And then... What years? A decade later, when Whitney dies,
0: it's back again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and quite timely as well, because I think they've actually just announced they're doing a
3: uh, a biopic of Whitney Houston. That'll be a that'll be a hot tomorrow later to handle, and it'll be interesting to see whether they sanitize or go warts and all. Well, according
0: to Variety, the film's going to be released uh, Thanksgiving twenty twenty two, and it was written by Anthony McCartan, who wrote Bohemian Rhapsody.
3: Mm. Hmm, interesting. It will be interesting to see how much of the uh, Houston Estate were leaning over his
0: shoulder. I was going to say because it's made been made in collaboration with the Houston Estate.
3: Oh dear. Hmm. I guess time will tell. But anyway, speaking of one set of biopics, let's move on to another biopic: Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> totally a biopic yes so you want us to talk about the actors
0: in this movie and I want to talk about its <coughs> tie-ins. so why don't you kick us off
3: I mean we've already talked about the cast because it was quite a notable cast we had Gary Oldman he was Count Dracula or Vlad the Impaler, to give him his, you know, casual title. We had Keanu Reeves, who regrettably was cast as Jonathan Harker. (laughs) We had Winona Ryder burying the hatchet with the director and becoming Mina Harker, as well as kind of being responsible for this entire film coming into being. Tony Hopkins was Professor Abraham Van Helsing stepping into the magnanimous carpet slippers of Peter Cushing. And Richard E. Grant was in it, Dr. Jack Seward, Carrie Elwes, Lord Arthur Holmwood. There were others as well, including Monica Bellucci was in there mm. as
0: one of the brides of Dracula. It really was a great, great cast. And I, I haven't seen it for a few years now, but I do, I do really fancy a rewatch
3: of it. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix right now because I did go and check out some of the effect scene and look at some of the bits and pieces i wanted to refresh my memory and the one thing that stuck in my head and it is backed up by the director himself is holy hell the costumes are luscious and there are a lot of jewels and that was deliberate he spent the majority of his budget on the costuming and he wanted all the costumes to be fabulous because to him his cast were the jewels in the crown of this movie and he wanted their costumes to reflect that in their opulence and apparently in a ludicrous wig as well and yes, this film got a lot
0: of tie-in game releases. This had a game on the Mega Drive, the NES, the SNES, the Game Boy, the Master System, the Mega CD,
3: the Game Gear, DOS, and Amiga. Do you know what they had in common? They were all sh- They were all sh- Literally one good tie-in came out of this movie... And it was the pinball. Yeah. But no, these games are awful and really don't have much to do with the movie. And the movie doesn't really lend itself to a game. If you're going to do a game, it would be an adventure game, a point and click. Yeah, I think like the DOS one might
0: be the better version of it because it's kind of like a first person thing like Doom. The Mega CD one is the most notable release because it had clips from the movie digitized into it. It had sort of like digitized characters walking along but it, it plays like ass an
3: interactive movie would have been better we were on the brink of that this could have been a
0: cdi tie-in oh totally yeah the digitized clips i'm doing big bucky hair is for these digitized clips because it's proper like NAF compressed files that like it dates it horribly does does the mega cd release of bram Stoker's dracula
3: and it's a shame because we did have full motion video games at this point we had night trap coming out we had the american laser games that were getting ported over to the mega cd you could do reasonable quality full motion video you had sonic cd the intro to sonic cd wonderful looks great these
0: look like there was one big game release in this week 1993 and we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago star wars x-wing gets its release for pc oh,
3: this game was good, this entire series was good. I'm hopeful for the new Star Wars game that's coming out because hopefully this will see a return to splendor for the Star Wars franchise in video games, particularly with a flight simulator type game, even if it is slightly more arcadey to make it more accessible.
0: Yeah, it was just looking at the pictures of Star Wars X-Wing while I was doing a little bit of research for this episode. This takes me right back to a time when being a Star Wars fan was fun. And I think being a Star Wars fan is fun up until about 1999. And I feel like that's when it stopped being fun to be a Star
3: Wars fan. Now, was it The Phantom Menace or was it the internet? I think it's the internet, unfortunately. Because you know what? Same with Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean, I was active on the internet from the mid-90s and I was in various chat rooms and forums for various levels of fandom. But you know what? the nastiness to me never really became prevalent until the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, when
0: people say that toxic Star Wars fandom only kicked in with the Disney series, is it's absolutely ludicrous, because I saw this toxic level of fandom when The Phantom Menace came
3: out. Absolutely, and the hatred for it. And the thing is, you know what? Phantom Menace, it's not a good movie. Not really. But there's no need to wish a death upon any of the people involved. Absolutely not. But on the plus side, X-Wing, cracking game. Exactly. Which is why I'm very
0: much enjoying this, because this is when it's fun to be a Star Wars fan. And I'm looking forward to more of these games.
3: More of these games, more nostalgia, more remembering a more innocent time where the cave dwellers really were still in their parents' basement.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, welcome! Thank you, welcome. Auntie Mauritius, preparing for the latest intake of fine, upstanding members to the resort, but before we start, for the benefit of viewers in black and white, I'm the bloke in the red jacket playing from left to right in a sweep of formation. So let's hear from the spare man at the back, the Games Master.
0: Well, thankfully, Auntie Maurice is still welcoming people into the resort. And Dominic Diamond does make a reference to... Um, he's either making a reference to... Ted Lowe or he's making a reference to John Motson are you talking about the black and white yeah because Ted Lowe the voice of snooker said uh, quite famously this was actually uh, painted like uh, in my student union we had like hand painted quotes from like like famous sports gaffes uh, all around my student union pub um, but this one was up there, which is, for those of you who are watching it in black and white, the pink is next to the green. A quote that my dad knows verbatim and brings it up every now and again because he still thinks it's hilarious.
3: I think commentators have become less entertaining ever since they stopped them drinking on the job. Because <laughs> yeah. snooker commentators, darts commentators, Sid Waddle yes. was a legend for absolute bullshit lines like when alexander of macedonia was 33 he cried salt tears because there were no more worlds to conquer bristow's only 27
0: <laughs> and of course the other reference could be is john motson who once said for those watching in black and white spurs are in the all yellow strip so the slightly
3: off-white <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right, shall we get our first challenge on
0: the go? Let's
3: let's have a go because it's a game we've touched upon before and a game we certainly heard people talking about. Indeed,
1: let's find out what that is from the Gamesmaster. Welcome to the Games Ring. I do hope you're happily installed and that your rooms are not too damp. It can be a problem at this time of year. My first speech tonight involves a schizophrenic young scamp, Kid Chameleon. And if you wish to alleviate my limited anyway, you will need to guide him to the perilous caverns of Underskull Mountain 2 in two minutes or less. Here's looking at you, kid.
0: It's a game that I only knew from Sonic the Comic. And I once thought it
3: was called Kid Chameleon <laughs> Or Kid Charmeleon, the uh, the toilet paper superhero. <laughs> But yeah, it's a game I do remember at the time, like seeing adverts, seeing in magazines, but one that I'd forgotten about until, via you, I started listening to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, because of course when we were preparing to launch under consultation, you said, go listen to these guys, we'll steal half their gimmicks, and I'm like, "Righto." <laughs> you didn't really say that, but it's what we did anyway. <laughs> Although, I don't know why, but I'm surprised by how small the sprites
0: are. Yeah, it's not the prettiest looking game. Like, I remember when I first played this game, which was way, way past, like, the game being out. It was like, I was thinking I was in my 20s when I actually got around to playing it.
3: Just thinking... This isn't as nice looking as I thought it would be. But that doesn't stop it ranking highly. Mega placed it at number 35 in their top 100 Mega Drive games of all time. Wow. That's lofty because you know what? There were a lot of games for the Mega Drive. Oh, yeah. Not quite infinite, but more than five. (laughs) and it's still remembered fondly today it's been released as part of various genesis collections it was on it was on the ps2 the playstation portable it came out for the virtual console for the wii and the wii u xbox 360 playstation 3 and you know what i'm fairly certain that if i dug deep enough i could buy it for the switch right now as well absolutely imagine you can do yeah oh the mega drive mini as well whether built-in or
0: methods (laughs) What Games Master says, I challenged to get through uh, Skull Mountain 2 in under two minutes, but that's not what Dominic Diamond says in a little bit.
2: And controlling our multiple personality friend tonight is Richard Sylvester from Berkshire. Now, yeah. right, Richard, how long have you been practicing the game? Practicing
4: a couple of hours a night, something like that.
2: A couple of hours a night. Okay, now what, what are some of the problem areas in it? It's a very tough, tight challenge, this.
4: Well, yeah, it's a bit tricky to start. The end's a bit difficult, but it's the main mid- bit in the middle that's worrying me.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right, so all three of have I got to look out for it. And playing this challenge is Richard Sylvester from Berkshire, Berkshire represent. Uh, he's been practicing this for a couple of hours each and every night. And while he thinks it's a difficult game, the real difficulty is in the beginning, the middle and at the end.
3: It's good that he knows where the struggles lie
0: in the task ahead.
3: It's essentially all of it.
0: I was going to say, because really watching him play that challenge, I don't know what I would consider to be the beginning, the middle or the end, because
3: it honestly, it looks like he's in a loop at one point. There is some repetition in this level. There are bits where you kind of feel like the game designer went, that bit was pretty cool. Should we just copy and paste it?
0: Yeah, it it doesn't show off the game in a particularly brilliant light, I'll be honest.
3: I mean, the game does move well, and it does look like it's fairly tight to control. And it does show off some of the core game mechanics. Now, we talked about the Mickey challenge last week, where there was a similar hat gimmick, mm-hmm. and we never got to see it. We get to see the hat gimmick here fairly quickly. Neil West, who's joining Dom in the commentary box, is quick to correct Dom. When Dom says, oh, it's Jason, he's like, no, 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 it's Maniac, it's Maniacs and then probably refers to him as jason himself
0: <laughs> he does indeed
3: because you know it's not like there are lawsuits pending or ongoing about friday the 13th or jason but essentially yeah it was jason voorhees oh absolutely yeah it's, you know, it's like the splatterhouse mask was
0: very much like when it got came over to the west was very much let's make this look like the jason mask
3: although can you imagine if the developers at kid chameleon didn't actually do this as a tribute to jason but it is a tribute to Splatterhouse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: because i think like some of the other characters they got in are like there's an incredible hulk character that you can basically transform into but i'm, I'm bas- basing this off sonic the comic for, for the record um but yeah so i think there's a lot of like fun references to the costumes and like as a big friday the 13th fan that i am i did get a kick out of the the maniacs costume
3: now i don't know if it affects the speed of your character because a lot of the time when you get these kind of special abilities or costumes for the benefits you get there are also some detractors so your increased armor but you move more slowly. And that is the case for maniacs because Neil West does say
0: at one point that when you're going through the the slidey bits, he said that it's quicker if you do that as kids. But when you actually get down to the bottom, then you want to shoot the enemies. You want to be maniacs for those bits. So it's actually a smarter move to be maniacs, even though it's slower for this time challenge.
3: I mean, not that Speed ever feels truly of the essence here because he doesn't rush through this. He takes his time. He does calculated moves. Yeah. He doesn't risk jumping into a void and missing a platform, he stops, looks, listens, follows the green cross code and then jumps on the platform when it arrives. It doesn't make for terribly exciting viewing, but it's smart. There's a lot of this challenge where he's waiting for platforms, which
0: sort of like feels like it's it's really ramping the clock down. It's kind of ramping the tension up, but it never really feels like he's massively in trouble. It's not like that Mickey challenge from last week where that lad was like down to the wire. This kid just goes from the start, into the middle, to the end, seemingly with very little trouble. He missed times one jump, but aside from that, He knew exactly what he was doing, and he breathed through it. There was one moment
3: towards the end where it looked like the time might get a bit tight, but at that point, he either glitches or exploits a shortcut and then suddenly gets to the exit with seven seconds to spare. That's it, yeah. He used like a secret shortcut bit to get him right through to the end. Not super exciting, but really impressive gameplay of just how to keep your calm and get the job done. Yes, absolutely.
2: Now, Richard, you said it would be quite tough earlier on. How tough did you find it? Under the pressure of the lights and everything, it was quite tough, yeah. And did you enjoy wielding a big chopper?
3: Yeah, I did. (laughs)
2: Okay. (laughs) Right then, well, Richard, as one of tonight's winners, you are the proud owner of the Games Master Gordon Joystick. Um,
3: And post-match, Dominic asks how tough he found it and if he enjoyed wielding a big chopper. (laughs) Well, whether he enjoyed it or not, he's got a joystick to grasp in his hands from now on. As soon as he saw that
0: maniac character throwing, he was like, Brilliant, I can make a chopper gag.
3: Get me dick joke quota up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was a, a fun enough challenge. It's, it's always fun to see people play a game really, really well. And you know what? He played this game really well. It's just, I'm, I'm not sure Kid Chameleon is the most exciting platformer. It's the sort of platformer that Jazz Rignall would have hated.
3: Yeah, I can imagine that when this was announced, whether he was watching or not, he just kind of got that piss shiver down his (laughs) spine of like, someone somewhere is being enthusiastic about a runny, jumpy platformer. (laughs) They will rue the day. This week, we get all megalomaniacal as we look at God Games. It's God Games in the
0: review zone this week, and our motley crew includes Frank O'Connor from Super Action, Gary Witter from The One, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the writer of Rogue One, etc., and... Dan Tootill. Hello. Hi, Dan. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you doing? Very, very well, thank you very much. Yes, we thought we would have Dan on for the entire review zone section with us because, Dan, you feature in this review zone.
4: I do, uh,
0: unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, So, how did you get involved with Games Master? So,
4: obviously, I was a big fan of the show. Uh, The first series, when it first started, um, I. Taped every episode off air, watched the uh, the tapes over and over, you know, because it was just such a nice thing to have video games on the TV, because uh, we hadn't seen anything like it, especially, you know, um, amid the uh, the sort of console boom, you know, I was um, very much enjoying my uh, Mega Drive at the time and just enjoying uh, seeing games running, you know, that I wouldn't otherwise um, get a feel for. It wasn't quite what I was hoping it would be in the build up to it but when it started I got really into it and uh, they had this Games Master Club that obviously they were pushing at the end of every episode being a bit of a sucker for things like that I decided to join it was a bit disappointed with, with what, uh, what they sent us but uh, there was like a little magazine with the, uh, the sort of welcome pack and in that magazine was an application form for the next series, you know, sort of like uh, it was very much sort of titled like, you know, like do you want to be famous? Do you want to be on the Games Master? And I was kind of thinking, well, I don't particularly want to be famous and I'm not like falling over myself to get on the show, but I'm going to send it off anyway and just see what happens. I really didn't expect to get on, but it was quite detailed. It, you could be very specific on which bits of the show you wanted to do. My favourite part of the original series was, was the reviews, because as I say, it was like a magazine coming to life almost, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't otherwise see these games running. Uh so I, I watched it mostly for, for, for that bit. And I thought, yeah, I could I could probably do that. So I, I ticked the, the review box and I don't know how many applications they got from people just wanting to do the reviews. I'm guessing it's it's not it wasn't actually that many. Uh bearing in mind I kind of got through, but uh, you, you, could, you could fill in some details about what, what sort of games you, you you like to play, and uh, I put Arcade Adventures, because that genuine, genuinely was my favourite type of game, you know, you sort of walk-around-collecting-things kind of games. That was just my favourite genre of games at the time. And it just so happened that they had an Arcade Adventures section um, coming up in Series 2. I originally did reviews for Episode 9.
0: All oh, right,
4: Because I, I actually went down to, to film twice uh, for games master and the first time i i reviewed uh i think it was Prince of Persia on the Master System flashback on the uh Mega Drive uh and uh Another World on the SNES Yes, right yeah had a great day down there absolutely loved doing, uh, doing those reviews i have no idea how they turned out because um they never aired because there was a problem with the lighting on that day and i remember you had Duncan Willis on few weeks we, ago
0: that's right yeah he said the exact same thing
4: he, he... did and that was very strange to hear that because i don't i don't remember duncan uh being there on the day i don't remember very many specific people apart from the obvious uh like celebrities <laughs> <laughs> we knocking about um but uh that's been something that's been like sort of plaguing me for, for for like best part of 30 years and i wondered if it was just me if it was just my bit that was messed <laughs> up obviously it was the whole day it was people got asked to, to come back if they could Ian Ross was the guy uh, who's been on the review section himself a couple of times. He rang. Um, I was actually out. I can't remember what I was doing, but I, I wasn't home. My brother took the call, and uh, he he kind of big me up massively. I think, you know, he sort of made a big thing of like, you know, how uh, how religiously I watched that that first series. I think he left a number, and I had to call back. Whether he rang it another night, I can't remember. They just kind of asked me a few questions about what sort of games i was playing what systems i had if i remember right he asked me to tell him about the last game i bought and do like a little review of it and just to make sure i'll do a semi-decent job <laughs> <laughs> describing a game uh but uh i must have done all right because because they invited me down and it, it was a surreal experience because uh, at that time games master was massive everybody watched it like everyone at my school watched it you know it was what everyone was talking about on a friday morning It was a big deal being on TV at all. Oh, yeah. Let alone like national TV, you know, tea time. Games Master. You know, it didn't get any bigger than that. It took me a long time to kind of get my head around the idea that this was happening, because I think I had a few weeks between getting a letter with a date saying, come down, come to this place on this time, you know. The experience of going down there was a bit of a Charlie Bucket moment, you know, it
3: was kind of... <laughs> <laughs> they they missed a trick not having a series of Games Master where Dominic Diamond was essentially Willy Wonka. Right, <laughs> could have done that. Could, they, they got close when they had the poison mini kind of like devils, in the hell series but they could have yeah. gone proper oompa loompa <laughs> yes <laughs> you you mentioned uh, you got a letter with a date and actually something i just wanted to ask is we obviously know that this series filmed in the latter half of uh, 1992 that's right and was aired in february the episode that you appear on now is in february of 93 Right. How close to air date were they filming these reviews?
4: I can find the exact date if you if you want it because I've still got the letter.
3: Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> that's a, that's an impressive level of documentation. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm very impressed. Yeah, I don't have I, letters I got last week. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, it was Tuesday, the twenty fourth of November. Oh wow! Date. Okay, that's when it was filmed. That's
0: really late in November, then.
4: Yeah, because I remember I changed schools that summer. So when I finished the sort of 91, 92 school term, uh, my secondary school actually closed, and I right. started a new secondary school in September of 92. I I did the, uh, the the filming for episode nine, Wednesday the 19th of August for for the reviews. Um, obviously, I don't know about the main show. I was obviously pretty gutted when I got the call to say like, oh we can't we can't actually use your your bit. It's it's not going to be you know we can't transmit it. Um, because you know, the, the lighting was all off and you know is there any chance you can come back I mean it was a bit of a push getting there the first time to be fair um, <laughs> but uh, like when do you need me to come back and it was it was like the following week and it was actually the first day of the school term right so I couldn't do it I'd had the experience of meeting everybody and actually being on the show, but the worst thing for me was I told everyone at school that I'd done it and I was going <laughs> to be on Games Master, and they were all like, "You bloody liar!" You know what I mean? There's, there's no way any of this is real. You know, they just thought it was this big fantasy that I concocted because stuff like that just didn't happen to kids in inner city schools in Nottingham in 1992. You know, I got a heck of a lot of stick. You know, a lot of people didn't actually believe this was, this was happening, and then for me to sort of go, oh. Yeah, they couldn't use my bit in the end because uh, the the lighting was wrong, yeah, absolutely, and yeah. so somebody else had to do my bit. But I did do it honestly, and I met Dominic Diamond and everything, you know. <laughs> so that was the thing that that really got to me. Not the fact that I wasn't going to be on telly. It was the fact that everyone kind of yeah, I was waiting to be proved right when it went out, and I could be like, you see, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't lying. So, but Ian did say, "Is is there any chance you could?" you could do some point in the future comeback if we can use you on another show and i'm just like yeah yeah yeah, absolutely but if you can give me enough notice and i can work it out then i'll I'll, you know i'd get there somehow (laughs) (laughs) and i didn't honestly expect them to call again and it was a couple of weeks later yeah just completely out of the blue got a call from uh, Stephen carsey you know just kind of saying how he fixed uh you know to come back down in a couple of weeks and uh do another show and I wasn't sure what sort, what games I'd be reviewing, but to be honest, I didn't care. That wasn't an issue at the time. It it became an issue later, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was just kind of just so glad to sort of have another have another go at it, and obviously go back down there. and I know what I'm doing this time. I know what to expect. I'd be a lot more um, relaxed, a lot more natural. I'd I'd have my head together a bit. A bit more. It was a bit of a silver lining, you know, get, getting another go which is one of the reasons I was utterly mortified by what I looked like when the show went, went out, because I was, not, I was not happy. I
0: was going to say, your, your Twitter profile does name yourself as That Kid with the Thousand Yard Stare from Games Master.
4: That's, that's it, yeah, because generally in retro gaming circles, that's what I'm known for. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gained a bit of notoriety, I think. Obviously, YouTube comments generally aren't the best place to look for sort of boosting your self-esteem. But
3: never look in the comments. <laughs> some, there's,
4: there's been some uh, some particularly uh, cutting remarks in the bottom half of YouTube because there's sort of multiple uploads of that show as well, with slightly different audiences. <laughs> um, they 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 do vary. Um, it was something I'd kind of buried for a long time. I hadn't, I didn't really talk about it for a long time. In fact, I think I'd been with my partner about five or six years before I admitted to her like I'd been on the show. <laughs> and she was like, "Oh, why did you never tell me?" And I was like, "Because then you'd, you'd want to see it, and I don't want you to see it because of how awful I looked." And I know I'm not the only, I'm, I'm not the only person who was on TV as a child who is like. Just like cringes to death at the mere thought of anyone watching it now. Um, I'm sure that's quite common, but I think in my case there was there's definitely something not right. <laughs> As the YouTube comments point out, you know it's kind of like oh my god, that kid's eyes, what? WTF? You know. <laughs>
0: I do have some sympathy for it though because I, I was going to ask like you know was it a case of that they told you not to blink because I've had like a, you know my my day-to-day job is to present videos and in my sort of early days of doing videos on YouTube I was blinking a lot and the comments kept saying like bloody hell he blinks a lot crikey <laughs> do you how many times he blinks and then like my my boss also said like yeah you re- like you've got to try like be a sort of You know, not blinking during talking, and so since then I've I've trained myself not to do it. So when I saw it, I was like, "I reckon someone told him don't blink." And so then you just sort of like you throw your eyes out wide to be like, "Right, this this will be the way that I stop myself blinking." (laughs) That
4: no, um, that's that's not that's definitely not what I was told. Um, If I remember right, I was told to kind of look at a specific point in the room, right, um, or a specific person, and. I, I don't know. I mean, I was a slightly weird-looking 13-year-old, but not not so you'd notice. I was always more conscious about, like, having big ears than and a bad haircut than, uh, like, hypno-toad-style eyes. And... <laughs> um, it, it just it just never really it just wasn't really Think I didn't really look like that so why I look like that on camera I don't know I mean I, I have like normal sized eyes <laughs> as an adult they perhaps did look a bit bigger as a as a kid um I think most people's do but uh, yeah I mean there's there's no real sort of ignoring the fact that I, I do kind of look like rabbit in the headlights Were the words used by my mum when the show first went out <laughs> you know so as sympathetic as she was you know she was kind of going it was it was all right there was nothing wrong with it i was like are you joking <laughs> are we are watching the same show because i was as much wtf as anybody when i first saw it i was mortified so sort of like how how am i going to explain this now <laughs> i'm just going to get so much i'm just gonna be known as this big eyed kid from games master rather than actually going and doing probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. It's just going to get overshadowed by that. And it kind of was, which is a shame.
3: Well, if it's any consolation, when I started watching bits of Games Master before we started recording, because once we'd agreed to do this podcast, I watched some episodes of season one, and then I cherry picked a couple of episodes throughout each other season just to make sure that I thought we could sustain it for the entire run of episodes. And this was one of the episodes from season two I chose. Wow. (laughs) And upon seeing you in the review section, my first thought wasn't, what's wrong with this kid? My first thought was, Jesus Christ, what did they do to this poor bastard? I was immediately sympathetic (laughs) with you. I was thinking, you you know, had you just witnessed a bunch of the production crew go on a lunchtime bender and this is the result (laughs) so we we make a marked effort not to punch down on this show and in fact when i first saw your review section it was sympathy that i felt for you
4: yeah it was something i was conscious of when the podcast first started up because when i first became aware that there was going to be a games master podcast and they would be watching every episode and commenting on it my first thought was oh god no <laughs> <laughs> what are they gonna say so what you you said about not punching down i think that was said quite uh, quite early on um yeah in one of the earliest episodes at which point i breathed a bit of a sigh of relief <laughs> <laughs> there's been a couple of episodes gone up on youtube where somebody has Done like fan commentary over the episode, and they've they've taken me apart pretty much. <laughs> they, it could have been worse, uh, but uh, I I think like must must have been a combination of like Red Bull and Skittles. I think was uh, was the comment <laughs> from somebody, and that was one of the better ones. I, I, it doesn't bother me now. I don't feel bad for me. I feel kind of bad for thirteen year old me because that was exactly the kind of stick I got at school. Um, you know, I was kind of expecting when this show went out to enjoy sort of my 50 minutes of fame a little bit but instead I just kind of got this backlash uh just anyone who was so inclined just took delight in and just like really give me a hard time about it so I was in in two minds whether or not to uh to, to get in touch with you guys about <laughs> but then I felt like I needed to explain myself perhaps <laughs>
3: I mean I'd say you don't need to explain yourself but I am very glad you did get in touch with us because you've already helped us out in numerous ways and provided us with a whole bunch of information and also whoever that was that said the comment about the Red Bull and Skittles I just want to take task with purely from a factual accuracy point of view because it wouldn't have been Red Bull and it wouldn't have been Skittles it would have been Tizer and Smarties because those were the ones that had the hyperactive (laughs) coloring in
0: yeah, take that, YouTube comments. He did say, He did
4: say that uh, immediately afterwards he kind of corrected himself and said, oh, well, not Red Bull, because that, that wasn't around in 92.
3: I'd say Skittles were around in the early to mid-90s, mm. but the ones that I remember making the papers because of the colourant, the yeah, red or and the orange Smarties.
4: Smarties. Yeah, yeah, too many orange Smarties is is a comment I, re- I use a lot myself, uh, referring to my kids.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Smarties took away the little plastic caps with the letters on, and at that point they lost me as a customer. Yeah, and went and they down all, all
4: ed- any educational value they, they offered as well
0: before we get into the actual reviews itself the one thing I'd, i mm. wanted to ask because we spoke about this with with duncan when he was on the show that he was kind of expecting you know, to get some free games sent to him to kind of play and this and the other but actually what it turned out is he went there got to play each one for about five minutes and they were like right now form an opinion on these and you yeah. know their games like sim city and, and you're playing you know like these these god games like gods and populace too like were you given yeah. some time to play them or was it just you've got five minutes um
4: no <laughs> uh, no time at all um that was part of the problem i think perhaps one of the reasons i look so terrified in these reviews um because as i said i ri- originally um, did the arcade adventures for episode nine and uh i was i remember being absolutely blown away by flashback uh, mm. i think i only played it for a few minutes but that was all i needed um because uh, it was all very high security um a lady from us gold came in a taxi with it just on a rom board um on the show they say it's the amiga version but it was the mega drive version we played obviously the mega drive was my machine oh. and so i knew they hadn't even announced they were developing it for the mega drive at that point um right. i think they'd only finished the first level and that's what they showed to us but i was so blown away by it they could not shut me up i, I just you know <laughs> I I was just gushing over this amazing game.
3: You'd have been one of the fast-forward video sections. (laughs) Yeah,
4: (laughs) I do actually get fast-forwarded in episode 24, and I got some stick for that as well. (laughs) Would you believe? (laughs) Like, ha-ha, you got fast-forwarded was a... uh, Yeah, something I I lived with for a a year or so after that. They they had most of the systems that they they needed set up. I definitely played Gods. I definitely played Populous 2. Um, but I cannot for the life of me remember actually playing Utopia at any point. Yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely sure they had it. <laughs> I think what they, what they used on the show was pretty much all I could say about it because it was, it was just somebody prompting me to say something about the game, um, <laughs> So I was just sort of regurgitating someone else's words, basically.
2: First up on the SuperNest, aptly named Gods. You are Hercules, striving for immortality through four levels of jumping, shooting, puzzle-solving play.
4: Gods is a spotless conversion of the old Amiga game, and I'm afraid that's its problem. Um, It just doesn't come up to scratch as far as console games are concerned. This time round is a lot faster and smoother, which is a welcome um, enhancement because the original
2: tends to slow down and become jerky when the going got tough. Gods is a really worthwhile purchase. I think it deserves a place in every Super Nintendo owner's collection.
0: Well, up first, we've got gods on the Super Nintendo. Uh, Frank O'Connor says that it's a perfect conversion of the Amiga game, but that's also a problem as it doesn't match up to any of the console games. And Gary Witter says that it's fast and smooth with yourself, Dan, saying that it deserves a place in any Super Nintendo collection. 84%. I I really enjoyed it. I really liked gods
4: on the SNES, um, which is odd because um, I played it on the Amiga uh, a friend's house, like a, a year earlier, because the game was nearly a year old by this point. It was not an obvious game to appear on the on the SNES, and um, it, it wasn't. I didn't have particularly high expectations of it. But uh, having played it on the Amiga, I, I found it a little bit dull. I mean, it's an unpopular opinion, but I was
3: never a big fan of the Bitmap Brothers games. Um, oh dan see i'll be honest if you want to go and be known as something else in the retro gaming circle start pushing that <laughs> yeah as the directive of i don't particularly care for the bitmap brothers
4: <laughs> well yeah as I, as i say i wasn't i wasn't a big fan of them I, I i could appreciate them i would play them for a bit but i didn't i wasn't falling over myself to go and get an amiga so i could play them so i wasn't expecting very much from it because i would played it before and obviously being a conversion of an amiga game i just thought it would be kind of pretty much the the same sort of experience but i enjoyed it a lot more on the snes i think because it has the, the 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 extra button to jump it made it easier to jump and shoot at the same time i found i could get through levels more quickly and die less frequently on that version because i think it's quite a bit slicker as well it's it's, it's a bit faster and more colourful than the Amiga version. I, I seem to remember being a bit torn as to which sort of angle to push, really. Um, so in the end, I think I just kind of went with, it's good, it's enjoyable, you know, it's worth buying it. But I didn't know how much it a- actually sold for. Um, <laughs> I found it a little bit difficult to do some of these reviews because obviously I didn't want to give a, a good game a bad review, but it would be so much worse if, I, if people ended up buying a, a bad game because of me. Uh, That was really kind of weighing on my mind as well. I wanted to kind of just just do a good job of these reviews and doing the most professional as I could. And, uh, yeah, I I struggled with that quite a bit with this one.
3: I mean, this wouldn't be the last time that it would be shifted onto another platform because fast forward to December 2018 and suddenly God's Remastered appears on the PS4, the Xbox One and Steam. I've got it on Steam and uh, I played it with the new graphics for about 10 minutes And then I switched right back to the old graphics because (laughs) the new graphics, they're shiny and CGI and absolutely soulless. Oh, no. But this is the game that I actually have the biggest issue with in this review section, because the main reason it's in a a God game review section is because it's called Gods. Yep. Other than that, it's a platformy, shooty, runny, (laughs) jumpy game. At some point, I'm going to stop grinding an axe against Games Master's categorization of games for reference see the historical games review section i like this game i just not sure that it belongs here based on a (laughs) keyword
4: yeah i kind of (laughs) felt the same at the time to be honest but i wasn't complaining because um had it not been for that one i i would have been a bit stuck with the whole category Um, at least this was a game that you could just pick up and play.
2: Next up, Populous 2. It's still you against another civilization. There's still 999 levels, but this time it's steeped in Greek mythology. A far
4: better game than the original, offering deeper strategy, far more enhanced graphics and a whole lot more godly effects.
2: It's really fun when you build up enough power to unleash a volcano right in the middle
4: of your opponent's cities. In terms of difficulty, it's a lot harder than the first one. It looks and feels a lot better.
0: Up next, it's Populous 2 for the Mega Drive with Gary saying it's better than the first one. Dan says that it's a lot of fun when you get enough power to build a volcano to destroy an opponent's city. Frank says it's harder than the original and also looks better. 84% for Populous 2. It's not okay ga- like, I, I mean, I, like you, Dan, I, I kind of struggle with this category a little bit because like, the only real god game, I suppose I've, I've dived into is Megalomania, uh, which I had on the Mega Drive, which I, I absolutely, and I do love Megalomania, but um, yeah, I, I don't really know much on the the popular series because we have had Populous two in the review zone before, back in series one, I think.
3: I I will take your word for it. I can't remember. <laughs> one thing I can say about Populous two is this is a game which the development of really starts a trend. Of Peter Molyneux talking bollocks.
0: I think we had this conversation back in series one actually now that now that you said that we definitely did it back in series one. (laughs)
3: already talked with Guru Larry briefly uh, earlier in this season and there's a guy that has an axe to grind against Peter Molyneux and justifiably so because in the build-up to this game there were various reports about what features would and wouldn't be in the game including apparently the ability to export your worlds from Populous and import them into SimCity. What? <laughs> I'm into the concept of being able to carry, like, kind of save games between games. I've never thought of doing one across franchises. Mm. I do remember playing this game, however. I played it on the PC. I loved Populous. I loved god games although as soon as things like command and conquer and real-time strategy games came out i stepped away from god games because strategy games are just like god games but with nukes
4: (laughs) (laughs) fortunately for me Populous 2 was a game i had played before again on my friend's amiga um so i was already kind of ahead of the game on this one uh because the the letter i got um also said you'll be given time to play the games you know on the day uh, but if you if you can kind of seek them out and see if you can play them ahead of time, that would be helpful. I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but it was something like that. So it was just a case of um, see what the Mega Drive version's like, see what they did with the control system. So like to play with a joypad rather than a mouse. And, you know, which features made it over from the Amiga version? Is it exactly the same? Does it look the same? Um, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised. It's, it's a pretty good version. I don't think everything's in there. I think there's, there's other strategy elements that they, they didn't port over just to kind of keep the, the game sort of manageable. And it, it did kind of play the same and it, it, it looked it was a little bit more colorful, I think than the Amiga version because the uh, Amiga games tended to have, have this sort of slightly muted color palette um, which looked better on this sort of a game, to be honest. Yeah, it was. It wasn't half bad at all. Initially, it's a. It's perhaps a little bit dull because, you know, you, you you're just uh, kind of landscaping for the first few minutes on each game <laughs> of Populous Two. You're just raising and lowering land, uh, just to, to give you your guys like something to build on. But uh, yeah, it's it's like within sort of five ten minutes you can start burning the other opposition's houses down and uh, yeah, like summoning like lightning bolts and uh, sending in your your hero to go and uh, uh, stop pillaging the, <laughs> the opposing sides <laughs> village and things like that so
3: you definitely if nothing else came across as a bloodthirsty 13 year old because your main comment in this review was and it's great when you can summon a volcano <laughs> in the middle of your opponent's city and i'm just like wow yeah. <laughs> a Pompeii level destruction at 13 years old. That's impressive.
4: <laughs> now that you mention it... Uh...
3: <laughs> Finally, also on the
2: Mega Drive, Utopia. There you are building your city when all of a sudden an alien race decides to enter the fray. You have to give them what 4 through 10 levels. Utopia doesn't have quite the same oomph as a
4: game like maybe Populous or Megalomania. Um, there are combat elements, but unfortunately it doesn't have quite the same ass kicking feel as Populous. It's enjoyable, but not addictive.
2: Utopia is sort of a mixture of SimCity and Populous. It's an excellent conversion on one of the better Super NES games
0: around. And lastly, we've got a bit of a production error for Games Master because Dominic Diamond says that we've got Utopia on the Mega Drive, but it's actually Utopia on the Super Nintendo.
3: Not the first production error from Dominic this series, and certainly not the last. You said
0: that this was the game that you didn't feel like you knew the most about. Is that why you sort of like... Because your comment on this is very much like it's a mix between SimCity and Populous and a good conversion, one of the better SNES games. Was it kind of just like... If you could say something along these lines.
4: Very much, yeah. So uh, it wasn't a review at all, just a vague description of the game. Um, I'm not exactly sure where one of the better Super NES games around came from. That may have been a backhanded compliment because I was a Mega Drive person.
3: <laughs> Man, I'm feeling outnumbered here.
4: <laughs> it's about time. So, <laughs> there, obviously, there was no love lost between like uh, SNES and Mega Drive owners back then. It was quite... Quite brutal. I don't think I would have willfully done that. You know, I wouldn't have knowingly been so unprofessional as to kind of have a swipe at, at the, the sort of Nintendo platform. <laughs> I, I know that when you when you first fire up a game of Utopia, it, it takes a good few minutes for anything happen for anything to happen at all. Uh, you are just building things and waiting for stuff to to appear, and you know, sort of tweaking grants and things like that, and building hospitals and. You know, this is before the game even gets really started. I don't actually know anybody who played it for long enough to actually see the aliens attack. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sure there is a lot to it if you put the time in, but certainly when I was 13, uh, you know, in a, in a like a backstreet studio in London, just there for the day, uh, everyone just kind of panicking around you <laughs> and sort of, <laughs> oh, yeah, just uh, um, this guy's played it. Uh, talk to him. So (laughs) it was kind of like
0: that. It's quite weird for this review section to end off with you going like, it's one of the better SNES games, and then the score comes up as 76%. And I'm like,
3: that's a a damning indictment for the Super Nintendo.
4: Yeah, well, I don't know. It's probably more more so for me, really, in that I clearly don't (laughs) know what I'm talking about.
3: I wouldn't worry about considering having a swipe at the Super Nintendo being unprofessional, because there are journalists that have been in this review section that are clearly... A mono-platform kind of journalist. They'll make backhanded comments that, "Oh, it's okay for a console game and yeah. stuff like that."
0: We had the lad on a few episodes ago that was from a Mega Drive magazine, and all of his reviews were like, "It was this game's very much. Oh, look what the Super Nintendo can do!" <laughs> <I> remember <that>. <laughs> Yeah.
4: One <laughs> one of the, the the nicest things about being there for for that for that filming uh, was like just watching the other the other guys do it yeah you know, the professionals i got to i think i i went i i think i went last on all the reviews i did i had to be careful not to just regurgitate what they'd said you mm. know um it, it wasn't something that i'd ever done before obviously but i don't think a lot of the people involved were particularly comfortable doing it but they would would have been a lot more comfortable than i was which is why
3: they looked relatively normal on on camera and i didn't <laughs> <laughs> So that wraps it up for the reviews for this episode. But as you've said, you are back in episode 24 for a separate section. I am. Yes. I awesome. ended up
4: filming two shows.
3: Would you be okay joining us back for that episode to talk through the reviews and maybe a bit more about the experience of recording on the day? Sure. I'd love to. Awesome. Fantastic. Sounds great.
0: But it's time for a celebrity challenge. And boy, howdy, if we got a celebrity on our hands this week.
1: What are we playing, Games Master? My second challenge is one that requires brain rather than drawn. The game is called Lustrous, and the object is to form vertical lines on the right-hand side of the screen by shooting away blocks that get in the way. Each time a line is formed, that line will disappear. For the purposes of this particular challenge, you will need to construct five lines. But to spice things up a bit, I put the game on its hardest setting. On with the thinking caps.
0: Turns out the Super Scope is back and we're playing Blastris.
3: Yeah, which I think was one of the Super Scope 6. I think I mentioned it on the previous episode. indeed. I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head whether this is Blastris A or (laughs) Blastris B. And to be honest, I didn't care enough to look it up. But (laughs) it's Blastris and I will say that it actually doesn't look too bad. Yeah, this looks fun, man. This looks like a much better use of the Super Scope.
2: For this furious test of hand-eye coordination and mental matter, please welcome the Krypton Factors main man, Gordon Barnes. Yay! So, Gordon. Thank you. Right, this is for you, I think. Now, Gordon, the thing I've always wanted to know is, have you ever tried the assault course on your show? I have. I have done it twice and I can tell you I will never, ever be doing it again. <laughs> was a bit of it's a rough ride, was it? It's, it's much too, I'm much too old, it's much too demanding. <laughs> well, what is your actual individual Krypton factor then, Gordon? Well, you'll probably find out in a minute. It's only good if I've got the answers in front of me as well as the questions. Your whole job is on the line here, Gordon. How do you Thank fancy you. your chance? Thank you for setting me up. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> well, I'll have a go. That's the best I can do. I've hardly ever played a computer game in my life. I'm two, gen- two generations too
0: old, I think. Oh, not at all, not at all. And what an absolutely corking celebrity we've got this week. Gordon Burns from The Krypton
3: Factor. Gordon Burns, who'd already been a broadcaster at this point for 25 years, he got his start in 1967. This guy is as much of a broadcasting legend as Bob Holness was. Now, do you remember much of the Krypton Factor, Luke? I bloody loved the Krypton Factor. Now, apparently, this was called the Krypton Factor after Superman and his home planet of Krypton and ties into how the challenges are perceived to exhibit the competitor's superhuman strengths or powers huh well i honestly i did not know that and it debuted in 1977 and gordon burns was the host from 77 and he's still got another couple of years in him because he was with it all the way through to 1995 wow that's some long hell. old hosting duties that's like john craven's news round level hosting duties yeah yeah, yeah. Man, john craven should be on games master i don't <laughs> think he's coming up but that would have been ace he was firmly tied down to the bbc contract at that point But you had coloured tracksuits that you wore for the physical rounds. You also had rounds based on mental agility, on response, on observation, which were kind of spot the difference, video clips. Uh, There were intelligence, there were general knowledge. And for 1995 only, there was a super round, which was a race that encompassed all of the previous rounds. I do remember that, yeah. So at the start of the round, there was a memory puzzle and... Then they had to make a parachute jump, and it, <laughs> it was a little bit of a case of this show's beginning to run out. How many things can we stick in a blender? Yeah, and apparently the answer is all of the things. But it was key ITV viewing. I want to say it was a 7:30 p.m. slot or 7 p.m. I seem to remember the nights went Krypton Factor, Cory the Bill. Yeah, I, that that sounds about right to me as well. And as I said, throughout almost that entire run of the original show, Gordon Burns was the host. And by gumbo, this guy is a smooth host,
0: isn't he? He was so so good, and you yeah, know, still with us to this day. He retired a, a fair number of years ago now, but yeah. Absolutely brilliant at his job, and he's
3: really, really fun on this show as well. He looks slightly bemused by the entire thing as he's coming down, and he's good-natured with it. He doesn't mock the show. No. But he clearly knows that he is apparently out of his depth. And Dom is straight in there, and he wants to know, has Gordon ever tried the assault course, the physical challenge on the Crypto Factor? And he said yes, twice, and he's never doing it again because... He's too old and it's too demanding. <laughs>
0: I'm going to assume then that he did the assault course in his younger days.
3: Or he'd just done it and that's why it was fresh in his mind. He was like, yeah. N- nah, stuff that, not doing that again. And like the
0: host of Mania, he's only good if he's got the answers, uh, claiming that he's (laughs) hardly... Shade Throne, Is he even going to hear that? No, he won't. (laughs) Um,
3: And uh, he said he's hardly ever played a computer game in his life. I can't work out if he's telling the truth, because you know what? Spoilers, this guy's a ringer. He's good at this game. But this game could actually be a Krypton Factor style game, because it's about spotting patterns it's about reactions and it's about lateral thinking of working out which pieces you need to eliminate to make the lines complete now He's got to get five lines. They've ramped it up to the highest difficulty. And unlike traditional Tetris, this runs horizontal. It runs left to right. You can't move the pieces. The pieces are sliding in from the left at randomly assigned vertical height, and you have to shoot off the bits to make it slot in. And obviously, if you fill up the screen, it's game over. So you're having to look in two places at once and aim and work against a piece that is moving. It's one of the reasons I really liked this
0: challenge uh, is because like we've had footballers come in and play football games, we've had boxers come in and play boxing games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This just fits. This is a guy who is presenting a show that is all about, you know, mental stuff and, and as well as the physical that then ties into this game. It, As you said, it feels like a Krypton Factor challenge and it just works so perfectly that you've then got the host of the
3: Krypton Factor doing the challenge. I, I think it's really smart, especially as Dom kind of ups the ante and goes, you know, if you fail at this, your career is on the line <laughs> Yeah, because it is a puzzle game. If he does fail at a puzzle game as the host of the Krypton Factor, <laughs> that's going to take some living down. So the stakes have been raised. Well, if you want
2: to find out if Gordon's Krypton Factor is large enough to win a golden joystick, join us after the break.
1: Nutritious, deliciously fine, it's not surprising, you helped us grow, so appetizing, nothing's changed,
3: we want you sold, you all.
0: Now for the Super Nintendo, set your sights on the Nintendo Scope. It's the ultimate in ballistic excitement. Remote powered and laser accurate, precise to a single television pixel. It's got six great games that will blast you into the Super Nintendo like never before. Hit the target with a Super Nintendo Action Pack including console, scope and six games. Campbell's Condensed Cream of Mushroom Soup tastes absolutely delicious. And because Campbell's is the
2: only concentrated soup, you can put it in a sauce for chicken supreme.
4: Campbell's Condensed, perfect as a soup, perfect as a cooking ingredient.
2: Welcome back. You've joined us at a very exciting moment. We are about to test how high Gordon Burns' Krypton Factor really is on Blastris with the Super NES Super Superscope. By my side, and that's the way I always like it to be, is Stephen Aramathia. Welcome, Stephen. Good evening, my little disciple. All right. Now, Stephen, tell us a little bit about this game.
0: Well, it's really, it's all good clean fun, Dominic, but it's really a perversion of Tetris, and uh, the blocks fall from left to right, and uh, Gordon has to shoot out the blocks to complete
2: the lines. Okay, well, what we've done is we actually determined to stitch Gordon up on this one. So we've put him on the hardest level. If he gets five lines, he walks away with a golden joystick and his career is intact. Gordon, are you ready? I'm ready. Then off you go.
0: Well, I've got written in my notes here as we come out of the ad break, what has gotten into Dominic Diamond? Because he's calling Stephen Carsey Stephen Arimathea this week. Well, at least for this challenge anyway.
3: As I said, there's a running joke we don't know here. Or we can assume that these were all filmed... On one day. Yes. Maybe there was some theological discussions going on between takes. Maybe. Because these jokes are way over the head of the target audience. Like a lot of the jokes, but most of the jokes that are overhead of the target audience are dick jokes. So yeah, so I really
0: like the way that this challenge is laid out. I really like the game itself as well. Actually, it does look fun to play, but poor old Gordon gets dealt a bad hand a lot throughout this. Like at one point, he gets two long ones in succession that are on the same row, and he cannot get anything on the top or bottom row for love nor money.
3: I will really admire how he keeps his calm. He doesn't just go shooting randomly. Unlike Dominic, that shouting, shoot (laughs) them all! Like he's stuck in some sort of Vietnam War film. Another Francis Ford Coppola reference. But he takes his time, he makes measured movements. And much like the first challenge, this isn't super exciting. There is the creeping sense of dread you get with Tetris as the rows fill up. But what this is, is actually really interesting to see someone play because you can see where they're having to consider every single move. And as I'm watching Gordon play it, I'm not saying that the moves he did were wrong, but I would have done different ones. I would have created different patterns. It wouldn't have changed the fact that he did get dealt a truly awful set of blocks and particularly what vertical height they came in at but there are multiple different ways that you could have approached this and yeah it's slowly slowly catchy monkey because he builds them up he builds them up he gets a double block to start with yep then he gets a couple of singles and then cocky sob he gets a (laughs) tetris to end it on i know he only needed to get five and he got eight and i loved at the end when he won he held that Super Scope aloft in triumph. I don't think any of the adverts for the Super Scope really sold it to me, but if you'd shown the host of the Krypton Factor doing this and then holding that Super Scope aloft, that would have been on the Christmas list. Absolutely bloody hey,
2: Gordon, excellent stuff. Let me take that off you before you do any more damage with it. Well, Gordon, I tell you, I had my doubts. I must admit at the start, your job was on the line, but you, but you, you did brilliantly. Well... It was when I played my natural game, Brian. You know, how um, no, I enjoyed it very much. It was great fun, and uh, my fingers were crossed because uh, if I would screwed that one up, then <laughs> I was in real trouble.
0: That's right. That is. Not only did you get five, you
3: actually got eight it's lines just, instead of five. Uh, it
0: was nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Diamond even takes it off and was like, You're going to do too much damage with that.
3: Yeah, and understandably so. You need five, you get eight. And Dom says he was worried for a bit because Gordon's job was on the line. And Gordon just says he enjoyed it. And you know what? I believe him.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I think you're right. Like, he came into this very sort of bemused about the whole thing of, you know, playing video games and this, that, and the other. But by the end of it, like, during the challenge, was just having fun because it really does play to his strengths. And I, I think he ended up having a really good time.
2: While Auntie Marisha gives Gordon a proper send off, some more lost souls seek salvation in the consultation zone.
3: Well, it's not going to be the only good time he has, as apparently, while he departs with the golden joystick, Auntie Marisha's going to give him a proper send off. She's a busy lady tonight because she's already welcoming upright members to the games rig. <laughs> she won't know if she's coming or going. So Luke, what have you got for us about Gordon from your Games Master tome? Well, unfortunately, Gordon Burns was not deemed worthy enough to be one of the Star Riggers. That's a shame. Thankfully, I've got a couple of inches I can give you from the Games Master magazine. Hey! Because in the TV news, they do go over what is coming up in the coming month, and they mention that Gordon Burns is coming up. They say we all know that Games Master is the only true test of mental agility and eye-to-hand coordination in the world. However, Gordon Burns, the presenter of the Krypton Factor, believes otherwise and aims to keep his career and pride intact. Join him on the 11th of February for a surefire Super Nintendo challenge with a subtle twist on the classic Tetris. Ah, oh, very nice. Despite his sober suit and Question Master's air, he's a bit of a game star. Prepare yourself for a shock. They weren't wrong. They
1: were not wrong at all.
0: Hello, gamesmaster. Master.
1: Hello, young whippersnapper. And just how can I enlighten your existence?
2: In the Ice Palace in Zelda 3, there is a room with a switch on the floor. But there is a door I cannot get through because it does not stay open long enough for me to get through. How do you do it?
1: The easiest way to overcome this particular problem is to collect the cane of samara from the sixth dungeon and use that to create a block which you can then push onto the switch to keep the door open.
2: Thanks very much.
1: Not quite alright.
0: And our first kid is stuck on the ice palace on Zelda 3. You need to get the cane of Sumar, create a block on the switch and that will keep the door open so you can get through great game once again in the consultation zone
3: entirely understandable people will still be struggling with this game for a time to come and i doubt we're going to see the back of this game until sometime into season three. Oh no and if i had a bit more time on my hands which unfortunately i do not really have at the moment i'm proper
0: in the mood to replay this like my snes mini is sitting like in a drawer over there that i really want to bust it out and just start a brand new save file and really get through
3: this I've got it on my SNES Mini, I've got it on my Chinese RG350 handheld and I've got it on the Switch. And I'm the same as you. I want a bit more time because you know what? The idea of just sinking into A Link to the Past and just losing myself in that world. Oh, it appeals so much right now. <laughs>
0: Hello, Games Master. I'm having trouble with my soggy flans. I wonder if you can help me firm them.
1: Hello, Mauricia. How good of you to pay me a visit. Flans can indeed be difficult. May I suggest that you use more flour, less milk, and cook them at a slightly lower temperature. <laughs> Not that my temperature's ever been low looking at you, Marisha. Oh, you cheeky monkey. Bye-bye, Marisha.
0: <sighs> ah. Who's next? Now, I thought the Dalek was going to be the bizarrest consultation's zone entrance in series two. But no, Auntie Marisha takes the cake quite literally when she talks about her soggy flans that need firming up and Gamesmaster gives her actual advice which is more flour and less milk. And you don't want to cook them at a high temperature and he gets a bit of a high temperature when Auntie Marisha's around the cheeky monkey. I
3: loved her calling him a cheeky monkey. And the bit that comes next is a little bit heartbreaking. He just goes, bye bye. And size. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, you're Lovelorn. It's like King Kong and Fay Ray. (laughs) This is adorable. But you know what? You know how I always make sure I've got information on the various games and everything? I did my (laughs) flan research. (laughs) Did you know that the flans actually originated in the Roman Empire? Well, there you go. Because they were the first people to actually domesticate chickens for the purpose of harvesting their eggs they threw some eggs together, they made a kind of custard treat to begin, and then they made a sweeter version, flavoured with honey, and that's how the foodstuff that would become a modern flan began to appear. And amazingly, when the Roman Empire ended and the medieval era began, the flan stuck around. Mm. And is baffling people like Auntie Marisha until this day. And it makes you wonder, actually. Auntie Marisha with, one would assume, a well-stocked kitchen and indeed many chefs today that have modern fan-assisted oven, gas, servo-controlled, thermometers, whatever, struggle with their soggy flans. What must we learn from the Romans? Because if they could do it, why can't we? Or did they have lower standards?
2: (laughs) On Mickey Mouse on the SNES, I found the harp that you told me about last week,
3: but I'm still finding it a bit too difficult. Can you give me any more help?
1: May work, I'm you really do have a severe problem, don't you? However, there is another energy heart, and it can be found on level four. Equipped with the grappling hook, take a leap of faith into thin air, using the hook to break your fall. Now swing across the bottom of the level to a secret platform where you should find the chest that will yield another extra heart.
0: Thanks a lot. And our final kid this week... It's the same kid that was on last week looking for more hints on Mystical Quest. He gets two bites of the apple.
3: Well, as Games Master says... He clearly does have some rather severe
0: problems. (laughs) I do love this continuity, though. This is a fun level of continuity. Uh, And Games Master helps him find another heart that's on level four using the grappling hook to go under the level where you can get some extra life bonus.
3: It's a really nice way to string it together as well because obviously with games like this, there are always going to be hidden areas. It's like your Mario. It's like your Castlevania. It's like your whatever. There's going to be multiple hidden areas in any one game. There's usually one or two per level. So it's nice to be able to offer a couple of bites of that apple across Mm -hmm. multiple weeks and yeah string a little story together rather than just having multiple kids all asking about a game that is by comparison to some of the other entries relatively niche like lots of kids being stuck on zelda makes sense
0: yeah it does make me kind of wish though that they had thought about that when they started this series and had one kid asking all the questions about zelda 3
3: now see i i disagree i think having lots of kids Ask questions about the same game, and the game like Zelda 3 plays up how big a game it is. That's true. And how it's challenging a nation who haven't bought the play guide.
0: (laughs) Well, it's time for our
1: final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For my next challenge, we cross the Atlantic with football frenzy. The first person to reach 10 points wins the encounter. I won't attempt to divulge the rules of American football, Suffice to say, there's not a million miles away from rugby except that the ball can be passed forward and the players wear silly pads. May the best
0: team win. We're playing a spot of American football, Ash, on Football Frenzy. Uh, it's the first person to reach 10 points win, and Gamesmaster says that it's a bit like rugby, where you can throw the ball forward, and the players wear those
3: silly pads. I was really excited going into this challenge to get a spot of arcade American football. I was thinking, oh, this will be fun. This will be nice to make some notes and provide some analysis on. And I was wrong. Yeah, and do you know why this doesn't work? is because they've done it as
0: the first person to get to a certain number of points as opposed to in the you know when they do a football challenge you just do a, a match Because unfortunately, what they're doing is like basically this all gets done
3: within three plays. My issue wasn't to do with the way they set the goal for the challenge. My issue was I don't think I'm an American football guy. I mean, we talked about my sort of like, I mean, I
0: don't have an addiction to sports, but if there was a sport that I was ever going to fall into, it is American football. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the worst teams ever, but I do. they are my team. I do like... American football, and I I do watch the Super Bowl, and I do very much get into it. So, like I I quite enjoyed this for you know for a certain aspect. I just wish that they had played a full game as opposed to getting to a certain score point.
3: I wish I got American football, and I've watched multiple Super Bowls, but I don't know maybe because of the lack of spectacle, I find this a lot harder to get into. But one thing I was super impressed by is we've got double bubble, Luke. We have got two celebrity challenges this week. For this challenge, we've got a two-on-one
2: situation. The combined might of the Celestine brothers, Thomas and Christopher, against the awesome power of London Monarchs running back, Victor (laughs) Ibubidiki. Welcome, Thomas and Christopher, all right. Now, Victor, you are a running back. Are you gonna keep the ball on the ground then tonight?
1: I'm not gonna say anything right
2: now. He's keeping his cards close to his chest. Now, there's actually two of you against Victor tonight. How are you splitting the responsibilities? Thomas, tell me about it.
3: I'm going to be defence because I'm better at protecting the gold than he is. And he's going to
2: be offence because he's going to score much better than me. Well, it's all very tense here. Right, let's have the very important coin toss. Victor, I'd ask you to call when the coin is in the air. Heads it is. So, Victor, do you want the kick-off or receive? I receive. <laughs> All right, Victor, if you'd like to sit in the left-hand chair, we want the defence of Celestine, which is Thomas in the right-hand chair.
3: Because while one half of the challenge is represented by brothers Thomas and Christopher Celestine, the other part of the challenge is Victor Ibubadike, who is legitimately a British-American football... Yeah, that makes sense. Is a British-American <laughs> football... Legend? Yeah, now this was because he
0: played for the London Monarchs, which was a part of something I did not know existed, which is
3: NFL Europe. Well, his journey to the London Monarchs is kind of interesting because apparently on his 16th birthday, he went on a long old walk around London. He grew up near Paddington and he walked all down Paddington, went to Chinatown, Soho, then all the way back to Hyde Park. Now, I've walked that. That is a substantial walk. And I'll be honest, a great way to spend a birthday. A Mm. nice long walk, especially if the weather's not too hot, but just kind of, you know, pleasant. And when he got to Hyde Park, he saw some guys playing American football and he hung around watching them and they asked him if he wanted to play. He joined it and that was how he then spent the rest of his birthday. And that 16th birthday helped establish what would become his career as American football became his life for the next 30 years. He joined a team called the London Ravens. He enjoyed a good amount of success. And while he was there, he was talent scouted by a college level football team in America. He went over to America. He didn't have the best of luck. There's a mixture of opinions on what happened. Some feel it could be because he was British. He didn't get a fair crack of the whip. That's certainly what he believes. Others believe there were personality clashes with the coaches. The truth could be somewhere in the middle, but he never really took off there. In fact, his transfer to another college was blocked. So his career was kind of sabotaged. Despite his issue with the college level, he did briefly get a tryout for the New York Jets. Wow. He made it down to the final six and they took five. Right. It was just, if you're in the top six and they take five and you're on that five, six barrier, that's just bad luck. Yeah, it really is. And so after that, he returned home. And at that point he was asked, hey, there's this new thing coming out called the NFL World League. We've got a team we're starting up called the London Monarchs. He joined and then proceeded to make history. Because he joined the London Monarchs, he was one of four British players in the team. He posted a 9-1 record. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming that's good. Uh, I think it is, yes. Cool, cool. You're the expert on this one as far as I'm concerned. Far from experts. Compared to me, you're the expert. (laughs) But one thing I do know is impressive is he helped claim the first World Bowl in 1991. And during that season, he became the first and as of 2014, only English player to score a touchdown at Wembley Stadium. Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah, this came from a Vice article which caught up with him in 2014. Uh, His last professional game had been in 2013. He was with the Monarchs for pretty much the rest of their time until they folded. Then he floated around Europe working various teams at a professional or semi-professional level and then retired, is still around and interested in the game today. And uh, and he's one of those people that is often overlooked, but people who are in the sport, particularly in the European side of the sport, have an immense amount of respect for who he is and what he achieved.
0: Well, he's keeping his cards close to his chest on this one about what his tactics might be. And the brothers reveal that Tom is going to play defence while Christopher is going to be on offence because he's better at scoring the goals. They're called touchdowns, mate.
3: Yeah, it doesn't bode well, does it?
2: <laughs> and helping me with the playbook tonight is Games Master's very own Stephen Magdalene. Welcome, Stephen. Good evening, Dominic. Now, any tips for our uh, American footballers well, tonight? not really. They've got to play to their strengths. I mean, the Cobras are a very rounded team, both in offence and defence. The Bisons, in comparison, have some very good wide receivers. So they want to make use of those. A few pointers for you at home. The first team to get to 10 points wins tonight's challenge. This is achieved by scoring a touchdown, basically carry the ball deep into your opponent's half by either passing it or running it until eventually you get past their zero-yard line into the end zone. Are our competitors ready? Yeah.
0: Yep. Then Thomas Celestine, kick off. We've got Stephen Magdalene in the booth to run through the playbook and uh, tells them to play to their strengths. And Dominic Diamond once again, explains the rules of American football, which it's not an easy game to explain in a very short space of time. And I can imagine if you're watching this challenge with no real concept of what the rules of American football are, it's mad
3: confusing. Especially confusing for me because I think the issue I've always had with American football is I have tried to apply the rules and flow of rugby, which was a game I played. And it works at a very rudimentary level as in there is a ball that is shaped kind of like this Mm -hmm. there's a team of people at that end there's a team of people at that end and you have to get it across the line unfortunately it kind of falls apart after that because the rules of play regarding passing and what happens when the ball goes down and how much the game actually stops and how much it plays on American football is much more stop, start, stop, start, stop, start than rugby rugby flows more naturally and yeah, has less shoulder pads and helmets whether that's good or bad I don't know I didn't get to play it long enough to get a concussion (laughs) Just a dislocated knee. Ooh, ow. And that's why I stopped playing rugby. <laughs> yeah. And the confusion kind of comes in for me immediately because Victor, he takes a deep kick and then he advances with it. There's a number of downs and he keeps making his way forward and he scores a touchdown, which is now immediately six points. And we're only going to 10. Well, that's why I think that's the problem with the the challenge itself. Make it 20. Yeah. If you're going to give it a point limit, make it 20 or make it make it so it's the equivalent of two touchdowns and two bonus points so that would be 16 yeah which yes means a bonus point is worth two
0: if i remember correctly because i was trying to think about this today if i remember correctly when you get a touchdown and you go to make the conversion for a field goal you can opt to make another play and get what would essentially be a second touchdown. And that is worth more points than if you were to go for a field goal conversion. And what he was trying to do, and I, th- I believe that's what he was doing, because obviously that would get him closer to 10 points quicker. But it is
3: described as a bonus point. Yes. Which gives you two points. Okay, score six, bonus point, seven, no. Bonus point eight. It's no wonder Americans have so much difficulty with their tax returns.
0: Uh, But anyway, the Celestine brother, Christopher, runs down. He gets a fantastic run, actually. He he basically gets the touchdown with only doing one down uh, and then gets to make the conversion. So they go eight, six ahead. But Victor gets another touchdown and wins. It... Do you know, it
3: was okay. It just would have been better if it was a full game. Also, I think I'd have rather seen Madden.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's cool that it's like the Neo Geo one because Neo Geo games always look cool, but everyone's playing Madden or Maddens.
3: Yeah, the Maddens. And especially because they did have a review of an American football game. I'd have flipped this challenge. I'd have put it last week because then you've got some thematic content. Yeah. But the challenge was fun. And also, bonus celebrity challenge, And the celebrity won. Yeah, he really, the celebrity battered them,
0: really. Like, I mean, I know they were good and everything, but basically, they lost this off the coin toss at the start.
2: That was an amazing encounter. Right down to the wire there. Now, let me go to you first of all, Christopher. It was too good for me, I don't know why. (laughs) A a very, very stout defense, Victor did. Let's go on to the Celestine defence. You had some problems coping with Victor in the air there. His offence was just too good. <laughs> well, Victor, they're full of praise for your play. I was very surprised, actually. You didn't keep it on the ground. You went straight to the air there.
1: Yeah, well, I
0: thought my receivers were quite good enough, you know. I mean, even though the game was closed, I knew we'd come through in the end. And they're very humble about it. They just both say basically the same thing. He's too good.
3: And Dominic goes over to Victor, and he's very surprised that Victor didn't keep it on the ground because that's what he thought he'd do, given that the position he plays is a running back. I talk like I know what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm literally (laughs) (laughs) quoting Dominic at this point. And Victor says, no, no, he kept it to the air and he had confidence in his catchers and his runners and played a good game. Played all those Hollywood plays. I don't know what you're talking about. I believe it's what you do when you're constantly throwing. I think that's a
0: thing anyway. A friend of mine once said it to me when I was playing an NFL game.
3: Tell you what, if you have a better understanding of American football, write in feedback at underconsultation.com explaining it to us and we will still fail to understand it (laughs) what is a superb owl we
0: just don't know (laughs) great great reference oh man what we do in the shadows it's so good
2: (laughs) okay that's the gong there which means it's supper time on the rig auntie marisha's done us some boiled tadpoles in a basket don't miss next week's show when we'll have those naughty east london pop personalities east 17 good
3: night But anyway, Victor for his troubles, he walks away with a golden Games Master joystick and it won't be the last accolade he'll get in his career, but probably will be the last that is metal-plated plastic. (laughs) It may be.
0: And the gross food continues as we've got boiled tadpoles in a basket as the meal this week. Like, Auntie Mauritius not even trying anymore. Also, that's got to be either a very meagre dinner or a lot of tadpoles. yeah. This place is falling apart, mate. It's not just Games Master that's having a rough old go of it at the moment.
3: I reckon she's been reading some fancy fusion magazines, but she doesn't actually know what fusion cuisine is. (laughs) It's also why she can't make a flan. I I won't criticise for the flans because, you know what, I've suffered with some soggy ones in the past (laughs) myself. Well, speaking of soggy ones, E17's going to be on this show next week, the Bad Boys of London. And this won't be the last boy band we see during the tenure of under-consultation. We're going to have to get used to revisiting some truly (laughs) awful canned music. (laughs) <laughs>
0: well, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Ash, what did
3: you make of it? I had a lot of fun with this, despite the challenges not being the most nail-biting in the world. They were good challenges because they had good gameplay. Kid Chameleon, solid gameplay. Dude knew what he was doing, exploited a bypass, got an easy victory. The legendary host of Krypton Factor, Gordon, he got in there and he just did it on the hardest level. Mm-hmm. with a plastic drain pipe because that's <laughs> what it was. And then the bonus celebrity challenge with a legitimate American football player at a handicap 2 to 1 walking away with the joystick himself. They were great challenges with lots of great gameplay. It was never really close on any of them. So while I will actually give it points for technical ability, I will reduce points for lack of tension.
0: Yeah, I think I think you might have enjoyed this episode more than I did because I thought this was a bit of a, a, a middling episode. Like it wasn't a bad episode because the games were good. Like Hit chameleon was good. I thought Blastress was great. Like Blastress was my favourite thing on the show. And the football frenzy challenge I, I've got. I take massive issue with the review zone was good. And you know, the consultation zone the consultation zone was really brought up by Auntie Marisha.
3: That's the thing, is honestly, I just think it was a solid, solid episode all along. The reviews were fun, even if, you know, Gods was a tenuous link to being a god game just <laughs> by being called god. gods. But the games were good. The games were solid. And then the consultation zone, a skit where we discover that Auntie M and Games Master have a thing. Yeah, apparently so. I can't not like this episode, Luke.
0: <laughs> I mean, I was thinking sort of like late 70s uh, as the score that I was going to go with, but the Blastrous Challenge was so much fun, I am going to bump it up into the 80 mark. I was going to go with 85. Okay, so we're not, not massively far off then.
3: No, it doesn't do quite as well as last week's because it's not quite as sparkly, but I never felt bored. I no. sometimes felt confused but I never <laughs> felt bored. Well, that is going to do
0: it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do consider giving us a subscribe and leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us in the podcast feeds, getting noticed in those algorithms and whatnot. Uh, and let's give a quick shout out to X and Matt, I believe there's the user review, who said, Who'd have thought a podcast about nearly 30-year-old innuendos would be so entertaining? The podcast also makes the brief reference to some TV show or another, but it doesn't distract from its main focus. Thank you very much for that
3: wonderful five-star review. He's talking about the Krypton factor, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh my God! He's a listener from the future. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at underconsolepod over on
3: Instagram at under.console. And if you want to have a little bit of real-time interaction with us in a chat room that reminds you slightly of the IRC and chat networks of the 90s, then you can come over to our Discord. Details are in the show notes or on our social media.
0: Absolutely. Let's make that the place where we have the the Star Wars fun that we were having in the early 90s. Bring back the fun. I've got my (laughs) Star Wars Tazos, We're all set. Abso-bloody exactly, mate. And if you want to get next week's episode one week early and ad-free, head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod and back us at the £5 level to get next week's episode. Uh, And at the
3: £10 level, you get a lovely merch pack. Ash, what will they find inside? They will get a mug... They will get stickers, they will get badges, they will get sweeties, they will get pogs. Assuming I've still got enough packs left by the time this goes to air. If not pogs, I will find something else that is suitably retro. And they also get £5 off of our first under-consultation t-shirt that is available to buy right now from underconsultation.com and a shout out to those 10 pound backers simon
0: nick sean adam adam cliff rich gordon william and misha you all rule thank you all so so much and ash i guess i'll see you in seven days time for some east 17 action well that'll be interesting i'll get a baked potato i'll see you in seven days take care good night